Morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Uh, as, uh, as Joe said earlier, this is our first week of five services. We got a picture from Sutton earlier. Would you like to see it? Yeah. I knew you'd say that. There we go. <laughs> so most or a good number of those people, golly, that looks smaller when you push out the room like that, doesn't it? <laughs> there you go. I like that one. That's a, this is called the church leader's preference. <laughs> always make it look like there's more people in the room. So most of those guys, not all of them, but most of those guys actually used to uh, come here to this service uh, and a number of them moved down to Sutton in search of more affordable family-sized accommodation. And then a while ago now, they said, we want to have a service here. We said, you don't have to. You could just go to one of the other wonderful churches in Sutton. They said, no, we want to do a Christchurch London service. And so we found ourselves starting our fifth service as a result and uh, you may say, well, look, you know, why are you doing that? Well, reason number one is that, more th that all, the st all the research says that the best way to enable more people to come to church who don't go to church at the moment is by starting new services. And Andy texted me during the week. He said they're just on their first alpha of this term, just as we're doing it next week. And he said there were eight people there They'd all got back in touch to say we're coming again next week and there were three more who'd promised to come as well. Now that's 11. So that's, you know, that's like about 20% of the whole group at this point in time. And that is li a living, you know, a great example of why we are starting more services. More services give more opportunity for more people to find Jesus and have their lives transformed as a result. It also, for many people, gives them an opportunity to worship locally. Now, I suspect that for many of us, that's not such a big deal, because I suspect most of us don't live in Blackfriars. But for some it is, and particularly when it takes you an hour uh, maybe to drive in. Philip and I used to live in Sutton. At one point in time, we worked out on a Sunday afternoon when Christchurch was meeting at the time, it would be quicker to drive to Brighton than to central London. That is why people in Sutton want to service there. So we're really excited about that. Um, Personally, I pinch myself in a way. I remember uh, year, many years ago now, uh, that over 30 years ago, the Spirit of God whispered to me, I'm 18 years old, I'm coming out of Waterloo on a train, and the Spirit whispers, one day, come here, come to London. I've never lived in London. You're to come to London and you're to start churches or start services. And so this has all been part of a very exciting journey. But exciting journeys are not always without pain along the way. They're not always without senses of what's next or what's happening. And a number of you, I think, have experienced what I've experienced in this service recently, which is there's a few more gaps than there's been. There's a hole just here. And, uh, and we've been aware that with sending people out, and we've now sent four services out, uh, across to different parts of London, that it leaves us, uh, in a sense, or for some of us at least, to feel somewhat bereft. Now I realize some of you are here for the first week. So a very warm welcome to you, and you will have no idea what I'm talking about this morning. I trust that the rest of this morning will be rather clearer to you. But here's what I want to do this morning. I'm not going to preach a normal sermon. There's a look of relief on some of your faces. Uh, I'm not going to take one scripture and expound it. I'm not going to tell lots of inspirational stories. What I want to do is talk about our service, our central service, 
and what we sense the Spirit is saying to us right now. And to think a little bit about what's it like and what do you do when some of your friends aren't here anymore? And how, how do we respond? And this works really nicely this Sunday because right across our services, this is what's called a service-specific Sunday. We're not continuing with our series in Proverbs. We'll be back to that next week. That's what we've been doing since sometime in September. Uh, but for this week, we're say, we're, every sermon is focused on this particular service. So that is what we're going to do um, this morning. And what I want to do is the equivalent, I guess, I want, to, I want to try and share from my heart. It's actually surprisingly hard to do when you're standing in front of a whole load of people looking at you. I've sort of in my mind's eye as I've thought about this, I've imagined everyone gathering around my kitchen table. Now clearly that's impractical because there wouldn't be space. But that's the sort of, that's the metaphor I've lived with as I've been writing this and thinking about this. And thinking, I wonder whether you'd imagine for this morning that rather than us being in a large-ish auditorium with big screens and all the things that we're used to, that we were just sitting together and I was trying to unload something of what I think is, in, what I know is in my heart and what I think God has put in my heart. Now as a result of that, it will be quite personal. And I want to ask those of us that are British here, if you'll bear with me for being personal. There is, of course, only one hero, and that is no person, it is Jesus. So please don't be at any point confused that by being personal, I'm trying to indicate or draw attention to me. It's not what I'm trying to do at all. It's just that the way that Jesus works is he puts things in my heart and in your heart, which we then have to go and live out. So it's just the way it works, but I wouldn't want you to be misunderstood. I wouldn't want you to misunderstand. So I want to start by telling you about three experiences that I have had that have hugely shaped Christchurch London. And for some of you, if you've been around a while, you'll be familiar with them, but for numbers of you, they will be new. And looking around this room, there's a good number of you that are new. And I want to tell you about these experiences because they are, if you like, our roots, and they set our course. So we'll spend the first little while looking back. What's happened? How has God set us? And then I want to look at, well, how about right now? And what are we to do? And I trust that if you're a visitor here this Sunday, and you're just here for this Sunday, that although this message is unusually particularly pertinent to those of us in the room, that you will find something which is of benefit to you in your life and uh, where you're going back to today. So here we go. Experience number one. Teenager Stroud, living 50 miles outside London in a commuter town and occasionally coming into this city. And from really the first time that I can remember coming to this city, I was entranced by it. It just seemed to have this magnetic attraction to me. For some of you who've lived here all your life, you're saying, David, I have no understanding of what you're talking about at all. But that's how it was. I remember getting off the, getting off the train and finding myself amongst this crowd of people who were all work, walking with such energy and speed. It looked as if they were all rushing to get to their desk to change the world. Now, later I realized that it was nothing of the sort, that it was just a learnt response and that you get in. But the energy of the whole thing gripped me. 
as a teenager. Not only the energy, but the diversity. I loved the fact that people could dress just about any way they wanted, and it was fine. And even for those of us who dress rather more conventionally, it was wonderful to see the diversity of expression. It was great to sit on a bus or sit in a cafe and hear so many different languages that you could have been anywhere in the world. It was energetic, it was diverse, and it was creative. You felt like if there was anything that was going to change in our country, it was likely to come from this place. I remember in my late 70s coming up, and it was just at the birth of punk rock. Of course, you know, punk rock was essentially rebellion on steroids. So there were all sorts of things that as a follower to Jesus I couldn't identify with, but somehow I just loved the freedom of expression. I loved the search for people to be able to speak and find something of meaning and all of that stuff. So there was this energy, diversity, there was creativity, there was beauty. And of course all of us would interpret beauty or beauty is different to different ones of us, but I remember occasionally stumbling into these extraordinary Georgian squares with the white stucco-fronted buildings. And without ever thinking I was likely to live in one of them, I was able to enjoy the sheer beauty of them in the garden squares. But I was also drawn towards the poverty and the sense of need that was present in so much of London's inner city. And as I would walk those streets, I couldn't escape the feeling that somehow Jesus would love to be here. In fact, he wanted to be, I thought, in the whole thing. London, it's, London was a city of power, and that power needed redeeming, so then rather than being self-serving and self-aggrandizing, it became something of service. London was somewhere with huge energy, but again, it seemed to be largely self-promotional. And I remember thinking, if we could catch this energy, but it became energy for ambition for the glory of God rather than the glory of man, what could happen? And London was a city of great need. And I remember thinking, what could happen if Jesus walked down these streets and was able to meet the need, change the energy from power, self-seeking power, to service? Changing the energy to ambition for God and changing the need so that Jesus was seen to meet it. Those were teenage thoughts. The next thing for me, the, next, the second experience was that at the age of 17, I was invited to go on holiday to a Christian conference. I just said yes because I didn't have anything else to do that week. And I remember coming back and on that Saturday evening saying to my parents, once we've eaten, please can we sit down? I need to tell you, Jesus has totally changed my life. And the reality was no one was more surprised than me. There was two things that had happened that week. And the first is that I had surrendered as we sang earlier, I'd actually given up living for me. I was chatting with a friend this week, or someone I'm getting to know, and he described his own journey. And he said, you know, I got to a point where I realized there was too much of the world in me to be happy in the world, and there was too much of Jesus in me to be happy, with Jesus, to be happy in the world. Sorry, I've got that. You understand what I'm saying. <laughs> he was a mix. 
And that mix doesn't work and it doesn't come together. And it was exactly the same for me. And I remember I, pre I said, you can have it all. Not that I was sure that there was that much to give, but you can have it all if you will give me the power to live for you. And that was where in my Christian life I'd always struggled. I'd wanted to follow, but the, it, it had never come together. I'd never had the power, the conviction to be able to live it out. And I remember, and I really, really wanted his grace and his power. And though, and I prayed with my pastor, and at that moment, nothing happened. There was no great experience. But I remember saying to a friend of mine later that week, I said, you know, Jesus has totally changed my life this week. She said, David, I, we know. She said, David, the whole campsite knows. And I had no idea that anybody could see at all. That was experience number two. But experience number one was this city, which for me just had this magnetic draw. It was sort of lovely and awful, but it had such potential if Jesus could get mixed up in it. And the second was this young man who didn't know where he was going, but found Jesus and found in Jesus something utterly entrancing, beguiling and life-giving. And when I found something so good, I thought, I want to shape my whole life around this. You know, for the next year, for the next year, I didn't listen to any. I, I was a massive music listener to. I changed all my music listening for 12 months because I had to change my thinking and I couldn't change my thinking without changing what I was listening to. Just a little example of how things swung. So maybe not surprisingly, as I've already said, experience three, which was a drawing together of these two things. It was a drawing together of a love for the city and a love for Jesus. And so I sense as I'm on this train coming out of Waterloo, one day you're to come back here. Now, of course, how do you know that that's going to be something that will last past Friday, let alone for the rest of your life? And yet that became a defining feature for me. Love of Jesus, love of the city, and wanting to come back here and start churches. Now, of course, some people will say the last thing London needs is any more religion or any more faith or any more churches. And you will probably have had people say to you from time to time, that's the part of the problem, not part of the answer. Here's why I think it's part of the answer. And here's what's at the root of who Christ Church London is. It's firstly our conviction that Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. I mean, I'm looking around a room where many of us would say, that's me. Philip and I had a wonderful reminder of this when we went out to Hong Kong earlier this year. I've told this story. Some of you will know. But years and years ago, we worked with ex-triad gangsters and heroin addicts in Hong Kong 30 years ago. And we go back to the church, and it's a big church with lots of people, but we're welcome. We're asked to stand so people see us. So we, we stand, but afterwards... I have men coming to me who I last saw 30 years ago. 30 years ago, they were just in the process of coming off heroin, not through methadone, not through anything other than prayer in the name of Jesus. And they came to me, and their faces were clean. And they wanted to tell me about their changed lives. They wanted to introduce me to their wives. They wanted to introduce me to their children. They wanted to tell me about the jobs that they had. And I remember standing there that Sunday morning in February in Hong Kong and just thinking, Jesus still changes lives. Governments change structures and policies. 
Those things matter, but do not be deceived or ever think that governments change individual lives. They don't, and they don't even expect to. Charities are really important. You need someone there at the moment of need, at the moment of crisis. You need someone with the food or with the tent or with the help, whatever it is, the medical help. But do not be deceived. There is no one else and nothing else that brings long-term change in people's lives as powerfully or effectively as Jesus Christ. There's a city of eight and a half million people or however many it now is. You know, if you... Form the queue. Form a queue here if you want your life changed. Just how long would that queue be? Well, I want to introduce every single one of those people to Jesus. Because Jesus changes lives. Not only does he change lives, but he promises abundant life. He promises life in all its fullness. Listen. All the research says that if you go to church regularly, you're more likely to be happy than if you don't. All the research says that if you adopt a Christian lifestyle, you learn to forgive. You fill your life with gratitude. You pray regularly. Guess what? All the stats say you will be happier. If you know a personal relationship with God, all the stats say you will be happier. In other words, now social science tells us what Jesus said 2,000 years ago Follow me and I will give you fullness of life. That doesn't mean we do not have problems. That doesn't mean that some days you have a really bad day or some years you have a really bad year. But it does say he's here to give us life. This city is in great need of life. He's here to give us, to change our lives. He's here to give us great life. He's also here to bring peace amongst warring or different factions. Who knows that one of the biggest problems this world faces at the moment is disagreement and the way that different tribes treat each other. I was with a guy this week. His name's Mark McIver. Let's have the next slide up, please. Should be a slide of him. There he is, my new friend Mark. Uh, As you would imagine, Mark is a barber, but he's not just a barber. He says that the barber shop in his community is the one place where there might be a celebrity in one seat and a drug dealer in the next. And you'll see if you go online after this sermon, you'll see Mark cutting Storms' hair or Reggie Yates' hair or a whole load of other celebrities, football players and the like, and That's his life. He spends a lot of time serving these celebrities, but he spends a lot of time too in his community with the drug dealers. He said, said, when I was growing up, he said, I only had three groups of friends. He said they were drug dealers, fraudsters, and thieves. He said, that was my life. He said, I was brought up by a Christian mother. He said, I didn't become a Christian, but my conscience stayed Christian. And he said, it protected me from making any one of those three things my profession. Then he said, in my barber's shop, two gangs started coming in. They lived four streets away from one another and they'd fallen out because somebody had stolen a mobile phone. 
He said the acrimony grew and everyone forgot that it was just over a mobile phone and people started getting hurt and houses started getting broken into and people's mothers started getting attacked. And he said, I got everyone together. And he said, I told them and I told them over and over again, this is not worth it. And over time, and he'll tell the story a lot better than I will, and he's coming to the Everything Conference that we're doing the day before Love London, November the 17th. If you want to hear his amazing story, his amazing stories, come and join us on that day. But as a result of that, he brought peace. What happened? A Jesus follower brought peace amongst people who disagreed and hated one another. That is what Jesus does. He gives an abundance of life, he changes lives, and he brings peace in a city that needs it. Not only does he do that, but he brings healing. At the end of this morning, I'm going to read a quote from a couple who've recently left us, gone to the other side of the world. But you'll notice when we get to the quote that they mention all, just about every single different course that Christchurch London does. They talk about men's recovery and women's recovery and steps and living life with purpose and how those, li- those courses have changed their lives. Now, we are living in, in very, very broken times. We know that because we carry brokenness in our own hearts. But I picked up my phone this morning and I started reading the news and it said mental health cases amongst children and adolescents up 25% in the last four years. And you look at it and you think, what is happening? Now, there's all sorts of elements to this, but listen, one is that Jesus does bring healing and Jesus changes lives. And that's why we do all the courses that we do. And you saw some of them advertised this morning. I could go on and give lots of other reasons, but I'm not going to get to where we are now if I keep on. Other than Jesus is here to change people's lives, to give people an abundance of life, to bring peace between warring factions and to bring healing in people's lives. That is why every day I get up and I do Christchurch London. That is why every Sunday I'm up early and I'm praying and I'm here because I know Jesus does those things. And that is why we're starting services all over London. Let me just ask, before we move on, let me ask you three questions. First is, have you surrendered? Have you surrendered to him, to God? Are you in a situation where you know that at the moment there's too much of the world in you to be satisfied by him, but there's too much of him in you to be satisfied by anything else? Then if that is the case, my invitation to you this morning is do the smart thing. Do the smart thing and surrender everything. Tell him that you'll follow him no matter what. Have you surrendered? Secondly, have you been filled? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Because once you've surrendered, you need his power. So have you surrendered? Have you been filled? And thirdly, are you on a mission? Are you on? Christ Church London is on a mission. We're seeking to serve our city, the, one of the, the city we love and the city that God loves. Now, are you on a mission? Do you have a sense of purpose? 
People sometimes say, you're very lucky to have a sense of purpose. It's not my purpose. God gives us a sense of purpose. He gives us purpose altogether to serve him and serve people in this city. And then he gives you individual purpose within that, which is another talk for another time. But he gives us that as well. So have you surrendered? Have you been filled? And have you got a sense of mission? All three of those, I think, are very important. So, if that's a bit of our roots and our bit of a background, how about the here and now? How should we respond? What should we be doing? And my first encouragement, and I guess it flows into the surrender thing, is that we give ourselves to God. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, don't give yourselves to us, give yourselves to God. I want to encourage us to give ourselves to God and to start to dream about what we could do together. About what we could do together. And some of you sort of thinking, but I don't know anyone here. No, that's fine. God will knit us together as a family, but we start to dream. You say, is there enough of us for that? Numbers are immaterial. When Gideon had 300, God looked at them and he said, you've got too many. He said, go and get rid of a whole load of them. Because he said, with what you've got, you will never glorify me. So it often starts with a small number. Archbishop and social activist Dom Helder Kamara said these words. I read them 30 years ago, and I've never forgotten them. History is changed by small minorities. The number of people doesn't matter. It's immaterial. You might say, yeah, but surely it's got to be a group that's fairly together. No. No, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, uh, God has chosen those of you that are nothing. That's not very London, is it? But if you're nothing, he said, I, God uses the things that are naught to bring to naught the things that are, the things that are powerful. When we were on the church retreat, we looked at David and the way that people came to him in the cave of Adullam. And they're described in three ways. They're described as distressed. If you carry pain in your heart right now, and you know what it is to have distress, you qualify. Then they're described as in debt. Now in those days, if you're in debt and you can't pay, you lose your property, then you lose your freedom, and then you become enslaved. If you know you're enslaved in some way in your life, then you qualify. And then we're told they're discontent. If you are unhappy with the state of the world and where it is right now, you qualify. It doesn't have to be large numbers of people. It doesn't have to be together groups of people. It just has to be willing groups. And we give ourselves to God. The best way to give ourselves to God is pray and pray together. I want to invite you. I want to invite every one of you, whether you've been here once or been here for the last 10 years, I want to invite you to join us at King Edward Church. King Edward Church? The one in the city by Royal Exchange, it's on the website, a week on Tuesday. And, I want, to, and I, want to, I want to invite you to come and to pray, and we'll probably talk a bit as well. But I want us to pray, and I want us to be a community together. And we're going to seek God for the next phase of our lives as a service. So we give ourselves to God. The second thing we do is we give ourselves 
to one another. This isn't just a place to be on a Sunday. It's a place to be a family. It's a place to get to know one another. And some of us, like, that's really easy. We're like, yeah, I do relationships. I get to know people, no problem. Others of us, it takes a little longer. And some of us, I don't know whether you noticed, but at this end of the stage, when, we had, uh, when Joe had everyone up here earlier, we had North London hashtag one and North London hashtag two. I assume that was only for descriptive purposes, not because one is better than the other. But, and then at the other end, there was a crowd from Greenwich. Now, if you live in Greenwich or you live in North London, communities pretty straightforward because you can find people sometimes in the next street or certainly around. But there's other parts of the city, it's, it's harder right now. It was easier because there were more of us in this service, but now they're in Sutton or they're in Stockwell or they're in Covent Garden. So sometimes for some of us, we have to be prepared to travel a bit further. Not forever, but for some time. I live in West London. It'll take me at least an hour to get there on Tuesday night, a week on Tuesday. But for my family, that is what I do. It's what we do. And, so, and as we do that, so community develops in different places and different parts. Listen, if you've not got anything to do for lunch today, come to Nando's with us. You might say, I don't like Nando's. Not the point. <laughs> eat before, eat afterwards. <laughs> come and be with us. If you've only got 15 minutes, then use those 15 minutes afterwards in the foyer. And if no one comes to speak to you, be brave. Just go and speak. Come and speak to me. Go and speak to somebody. I'm always lonely. So you'll always, you can always talk to me. I'll always talk back. Let's learn to be a family together. And one of the things I want to pray about in 10 days' time is more spirit. What are you saying? How do we form family with all these people right across the city? So we give ourselves to God. We give ourselves to one another. And then we give of our time. We give of our time. Sometimes that's the hardest thing of all. I said this before, but Reader's Digest some years ago now did a survey. If you were to give money or time to your favorite charity, what would you rather give? Answer, money. Because whilst money is often tight, time is even tighter. But once we've given ourselves to God, we start to rearrange our priorities so that we can also give our time to serve. We give our time for relationships, but then we also give our time to serve. I want to remind us, we're a body. That's, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and if I was, had read a passage today, that's the one I would have gone to, 1 Corinthians 12. Then Paul describes us as a body. And there are three, at least three lessons he takes from that. The first is this, your, your involvement, not the person next to you, not someone else, your involvement makes a difference. Because if you're part of this body, then even if you are a toe or a finger, then your involvement makes all the difference in the world. I don't know whether you've ever damaged one of your fingers and then done, you know, all the, you know, cleaned your teeth, typed on a keyboard, all those sorts of things. Suddenly you realize just how important a finger is. Your involvement matters. Secondly, if you feel different from others, then that qualifies you. It doesn't disqualify you. You might say, yeah, but I've, everyone else is, I feel on the outside. Well, Paul says, if you're part of the body, the point is the lungs is different from the brain and the eyes are different from the knee. Totally different. 
but interconnected. So if you feel like I'm on the outside, I'm from a different place, or it qualifies you. Come and make this body shine with the diversity that God gives us. And the third thing it teaches us is nobody's contribution is more important than anybody else's. Or to put it positively, your contribution is as important as the people standing on the stage or the people who are handing out the coffee. Never have quite worked out which of those is more important on a Sunday morning. You understand what I'm saying? It all matters. So we give ourselves to God. We give ourselves to each other. We reorder ourselves so we give of our time. And finally, and if you want to say most delicately, we give of our finance. We give of our finance. Now I realize I'm on thin ice here. Difficult subject to talk about. Maybe, post, maybe definitely in church. But let me just say a couple of things, if you'll just bear with me. Number one. Unsurprisingly, it's more expensive doing church in five different locations than one location. So it costs more doing five services. Number two, over the last year, it has been the turn of some of our biggest and most generous givers to move on. So whilst overall, and generosity at Christchurch London has always been extraordinary, but at this point in time, we're punching below our weight, or we came in last year, uh, the broad, I should have checked my figures, but it's, we're broadly 1.5 million in income, and we were broadly, up, we were just over 100,000 down last year. So just so you know, you say, well, how should I respond to that? Well, I would suggest this. I th there's an exciting side to this, and the exciting side is this. It's an opportunity for all of us to step up. Some of us have got very little financially. And maybe we've never given or given very little. It's an opportunity now to give a small amount. Others of us have done well financially over the last few years. But we've sat back because others, if you like, have taken the strain. It's an opportunity for you to take the strain. The scriptures make it clear, in my opinion, and you can go to the website and find in-depth teaching on this. In my opinion, the scriptures lead us to give regularly and generously, and I think at about the 10% mark. You might say 10%. My point, the most important point is this, that our giving should always lead us to live by faith, to live trusting God for provision. He gave you what you've got anyway. And so our giving should always live us, live us so that we're trusting God. In other words... Do not allow yourself to be robbed from the joy of living by faith. Do not allow yourself to be robbed from the joy and adventure of living by faith. If you want to follow him, a lifestyle of faith and trusting him is central. So I invite you to consider that as well. Give ourselves to God. Give ourselves to each other. Give ourselves time. And then also, the wallet comes in as well. And all the details, if you want, you're thinking, okay, I want to do something about this. And I know some of you will. You can go to the website. All the details are there. 
There's various different ways you're going to give. I'm not going to take time for that now. If the band could come back, please. I said that in closing today, I wanted to read something to you. And this is what our very good friends, Darren and Elaine Lee, wrote on their... On the, Christ, on the Central Service Facebook page, and if you use Facebook and you're not, uh, you're, you're not uh, on the, or following the Central Service uh, page, then please do. But here's what they wrote. They were here for two years. That was all their visa would allow. And uh, a few weeks ago, I gave them a hug down here and said goodbye to them. They said this, We just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you for making our two years in London such an amazing experience. Two years ago, we left New Zealand with the intention to travel and advance our careers. What we didn't expect was to return with new lives, a new family of brothers and sisters in Christ, and memories and miracles that can only be the hand of God upon our lives. Sounds like they got their money's worth, doesn't it? We're so blessed to have the love and friendship you've shared with us since we stepped through the doors. We're so grateful for the faith and trust you have in us to serve and lead with you. We are forever thankful and humbled for everything we've experienced. And here, here it is. They've just done everything in their two years with our connect groups, our prayer team, steps, men's recovery, and living life with purpose. Thank you for making a lonely city into a loving city. Much love and blessings, Darren and Elaine Lee. My invitation is why don't we do that all over again for a whole load more people? It is more blessed to give than to receive. He's put us in the middle of this amazing city. Let us give ourselves to God. Let's give ourselves to each other. And let's read scores more descriptions like that of people whose lives get changed. And guess what? As we do that for others, our lives get changed as well. I'm going to ask us to... Will you stand? Let's stand. And I'm going to ask uh, Doug and Sarah and the band to lead us in a song of worship. And then I want to come back and I want to give us an opportunity to respond in our hearts. And I want to give us an opportunity this morning for us to say, yes, this is my part of God's family. And because it's my part of God's family, I want to give myself afresh to God. I want to give myself to each other, make my time available, ask him what I want to do with my finances as well, all for the glory of God. I'd like us now to pray together. And I want to pray particularly in three ways. I want to give us an opportunity to freshly surrender to the Lord. I want to give us an opportunity to be filled with his love. And I want to give us an opportunity to say, I want to go on mission with the Father. So let's start, shall we, with surrender. And you may be that there's people all across this room who just know I need to freshly surrender to the Lord today. Heavenly Father, we understand that the very way to find our lives is to lay them down. That the way to know life in all its fullness is to deny ourselves and say, we will follow you. So right now, right across this room, say, we surrender. We say, I surrender. I do not regard my rights, my possessions, my life as mine, but it is yours and I give it to you, knowing there it is in such safe hands. 
and be others of us, maybe many of us who want to be filled again with the love of God. I want to encourage you, open your hearts. Open your hearts. May the love of God be poured out in this room. May anxiety be banished. May fear be defeated. May trouble be replaced by peace. And may the love of God fill this room. And may the love of God fill our hearts that we may be full to overflowing with his love and with his goodness. And Father, as you pour out your love, well, I want to give an opportunity for us to say, yes, Lord, I want to go on mission with you. I want to go on mission with my family, and I want you to show me my particular part. Father, as we give our hearts to you and we open our hearts to your love, we want to go with you where you go. We want to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And I want to pray for your grace on us as a church family to pursue your mission. And I pray for individuals here right across this room who would say, I don't know where I'm going, what I'm meant to do, how I'm meant to contribute. Show us, open the eyes of our hearts that we may know our role and our place in your grand project for the renewal of all things. And so we pray it all in Jesus' name and we pray it all for your glory, trusting and asking, go with us as we go and be with us as we gather again next Sunday. We pray it all for Jesus' name and we pray it for his sake. Amen.